Charlo for three and maybe four. Gaines wants to do a high tempo it. Nice. Gives a Charlo driving yeah. the slot. Gaines with a steal up the floor to Charlo. Moe's going to have the breakaway slam. And that'll be Charlo who will put it back down. Charlo again, offensive rebound. Boy, that's the one thing that he does very well. Reverse layup. Good move by Mo. The exclamation point delivered by Mo Charlo, his 34th point. Mo Charlo will steal at midcourt. He will launch, and that is good. Mo Charlo at the buzzer. Huge basket. John goes up and under. Charlo is there to clean it up. The Charlo. Oh, baby. What's up, everybody? Not My House podcast is in your house. This is Eric, the host, and we got co-host Zach in the house. Zach, what's going on today, my friend? Just excited. We got one of my favorite Nevada alums on the show today, and I couldn't be more excited for it. Yeah, absolutely. He was a great player and a fan favorite from our very own University of Nevada Wolfpack. Then he went on to have a very successful career in the G League and overseas, and is just coming off a TBT championship. Mr. Mo Charlo. Mo, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. How are y'all? We're doing good. We're doing really good. Thanks for coming on the show. So it looks like you were born and raised in Eureka, California. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What was it like growing up in Eureka? Uh, cold, rainy. <laughs> uh, kind of in the middle of nowhere up there on the North Coast. But but for me, it was good, man. I, uh, I had a great, you know, high school career and, you know, got to go on to play, you know, college basketball, something I dreamed about as a kid. So, um, living up there, man, it was it was cool for me. You know, a lot of people looked up to me, a lot of the kids, and kind of opened a lot of doors for for athletics as far as the exposure. You know, we're kind of deep up on the North Coast, um, so there's not a lot of exposure, especially when I was coming out. You know, they didn't have a lot of AUs and, uh, you know, the, the Twitters and, you know, all the social media that yeah. plays a big part in recruiting for young kids. So, um, for me, it was great, man. I just grinded. Nice. Now, when you were a kid, and I'm, I'm assuming, I'm just going to assume, but I'll ask anyway, um, you were playing a lot of sports, I'm assuming, when you were younger? Yes, sir. So I played them all, man. I did baseball, football, basketball, and I even did some bowling as a kid. That's kind of my, that's kind of my uh, off the court. That's kind of like my hobby, man. Uh, I nice. love the ball. He's the, you're the, you're the first guy to say bowling. That's interesting. The very first one. That's <laughs> that cool. True. Yeah. It's funny. A lot, a lot of the guys, man, when they turn pro, you know, cause they're always traveling city to city, especially in the NBA. A lot of those guys on their spare time, they go to the bowling alley. That makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. Sure. Um, what was the sport you were gravitating towards before you started gravitating towards basketball? Like we hear a lot of guys were like, you know, yo, I was way into football, and then, you know, I just realized I was a better basketball player. Was there a sport you were gravitating towards before basketball, or was it always basketball? Um, it was a toss-up between football and basketball. Um, I was a pretty good baseball player also, but I kind of did that just to kind of stay on the right track and stay out of trouble, uh, you know, in the offseason as far as for basketball and football. So, um that was a hard one, you know, all the way up to my senior year. I still was kind of unsure what sport I wanted to play. You know, I kind of was leaning towards uh, basketball just for the sake of if I were to go pro, I would have a longer uh, career, you know. So I, I leaned towards that. So when you were playing football, what were you playing? What position? I was a receiver and a cornerback. And a cornerback. Now, which what did you would you play? You you had hands as a receiver, so then you play more receiver than corner. You know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> I did. So I uh, well, I was a cornerback, man. I was a six five cornerback. Wow. You know, I was yeah, I was tall as my you know, my junior or senior year. I was six five or six six. You know, I'm six seven and a half now. So I was tall. And so a uh, receiver, they called me. My nickname was. Uh, baby moss you know right, a lot right. a lot a lot of my routes were fade routes you know hitches and outs I didn't do a lot of slants you know because I was <laughs> taller so that wasn't my that wasn't my uh forte but so on the other uh, yeah on the other side of the ball you know I was a cornerback so a lot of people didn't throw it my way and when they tried me I intercepted the ball well you, you know, had so. to at your at your height I mean good lord a six five corner I mean you were basically blocking down the number one receiver on the other side of the field <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's amazing. So, so if I, if I get this right, 
senior year, you're, you're, you're toggling between the two and you decide basketball is, is what you're going to pursue. Did, um, when did you start getting serious about basketball? It had to have been before your senior year, I'm assuming, right? Absolutely. So, I mean, I was always, I was always a competitive guy, especially young, you know, I always wanted to win. And so, um, I think probably like around my seventh or eighth grade year, that's when I really it started to click. Okay, you kind of have a chance to do something special, you know, if you continue to work hard and you know continue to work good and you know hard in the classroom. And so I'm already had my mind set up that this is what I wanted to do. You know, as as any kid, you you know you're gonna you're gonna live your life and and, and live your your life as a kid and try to enjoy that childhood. So. For me, you know, obviously I wasn't perfect. You know, I, I, you know, I didn't get in a lot of trouble, but I was a kid. You know, I hung out with my friends and we did, you know, silly stuff at times. But I know when I always knew when not to cross that line, you know, to where you can really something can really happen and jeopardize what I want to do. You know, and, and for me, I always had older cousins who were probably more talented, more talented than me or just a talent than me that didn't make it because of, you know, falling into that trap of getting in trouble and, and, and veering off. So I had a, I had a good examples of what I did not want to be, you know, as a kid. So that helped a lot too. Yeah. Into your gut basically. Like you yeah. were, you were paying attention to that. Cause I, I, I was pretty much the same kid. I, I was into music and sports and I chose the music route, but it was definitely like, I almost had that sixth sense of like, okay, shit's not going right right now like it's time for me to bounce and get out of here like and the <laughs> next thing you know you'd hear the next day in school go dude they broke up the party with the cops and blah 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 got arrested and you know, yeah yep. uh, you're like yep i made the right decision <laughs> right exactly exactly <laughs> and yeah for me and then football man i uh like i said i was six five receiver who ran a four you know i ran a four three five or four four so i was fast on top wow. of being tall and i can catch so you know, there was a lot of traction there for football also. Yeah. And uh, you talked about some of the uh, role models and who you didn't want to be. But what I want to know is who are some of the guys that you studied and tried to emulate your game after as far as basketball? Because you're really versatile, really interesting game. I've always liked your game. Um, but, I mean, who did you study growing up? I mean, obviously I was a huge Mike Jordan fan. Like, I'm sure most kids, you know, 80s babies were, were Jordan's fans, so. Um, obviously I, I studied him a lot. Um, I studied, uh, Penny Hardaway, um, guys, Clyde Drexler. He was a, he was, uh, one of my top guys. And it's funny because looking back now, it's like Clyde Drexler, somebody I looked up to, looked up to and was, you know, one of my favorite players. And now I can call him a friend. I can call Clyde Drexler right now on the phone. He'd probably pick up and we'd have a conversation. Hey, you, you know, can do so. that right now if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't mind having Clyde on the show. <laughs> yeah, we we have to uh, we have to make it happen, man, and try to get him on the show, man. He's I'll a really, really amazing dude, man. So um, I just kind of you know try to pat my game after guys like that, guys who kind of played both ends of the floor and kind of a stats sheet stuffer. I think that's kind of my game. I can score, I can rebound, I can defend. You know, I can do a little bit of everything. So I just try to pat my game after those type of players. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, when you were playing in high school, I mean, you, you mentioned how you played kind of in the Northern California, a smaller town, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah. you said that you didn't get the exposure that some of these other kids get to. But, I mean, what was the competition and basketball scene like for you? I mean, were you seeing any familiar names uh, as far as competition or were you just kind of a big fish in a small pond? I think I was, uh, especially coming from up there, I was more of the big fish in a small pond. You know, I didn't really see a lot of – competition um until I hit the Bay Area after high school you know there were some guys you know you know that can play don't get it wrong but for me um I think I didn't really get that competition until I hit junior college yeah and uh you mentioned how you weren't exposed to a whole lot of AAU so did you not play mm -hmm. AAU at all like zero <laughs> AAU that's funny no no AAUs man I didn't do no AAU <laughs> So I really had to grind. It was go to the park, man, and get your shots up. We're playing on a black tile. We're going to a, a rec center, playing every day. So it was for me, it was just more of just staying in the gym, staying on the football field, staying on the, you know, the diamond, 
you know, just just being involved in all those different sports to keep me on the track. You know, I didn't yeah. want to get for where I'm from. It's easy to get caught up in the in the mix and get trapped. And and a lot of people get trapped and stay home and and kind of doing the same things from when we were little, doing the same thing today as an adult. So um, I made the I definitely made the right decision. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what was it about Diablo Valley that uh, intrigued you? Um, I mean, was it the coaching staff? I mean, did you have any other offers or was it Diablo Valley where you're just like, this is the only place I can go? So I, I'm out of high school. My grades weren't, you know, I didn't get high on the SATs. I didn't, uh, my grades weren't up to par to go directly to a division one school. So I knew I had to either take, go deep division two or take the junior college route to get to the D1. So initially out of high school, my coach, which we are very close and he knows my background, he was basically just trying to find me something to get me away from home, you know, to try to, to try to succeed. So Northern State, I actually signed to go to Northern State in South Dakota. Um, and I did that for a semester and played for a, a pretty good coach. I mean, he's legendary, uh, Don Meyer. Um, and I got out there. It was kind of a, it was kind of a shell shock. Shell shock. And I got there in the summer. It was hot as hell, sticky, hot, humid. Yeah. And then once you know, once winter hit, I would wake up, look at my window. It'd be snowy as hell. You know. So I'd be like, man, I'm not going to class today. And I knew, I knew right then that wasn't good for me. You know, I knew, right. I knew I. Uh, had to do something different. I knew this wasn't the spot for me. Great school. I met some great uh, players who are actually great friends to this day, you know, so that experience helped me a lot. So when I, when I came back, I came back to the Bay Area. My friend was living out there, or my cousin was living there, and I knew a guy named Franco Harris who went to El Cerrito, was really close with Drew Gooden, um, and they used to come up to Eureka and play in the Logger Classic. And so when I went down to the Bay Area to uh, go with my cousin, we're trying to figure out what school, you know, I, I wanted to go to. So it was Diablo Valley. I went to Contra Casa, uh, school in Merritt, um, you know, some of the top junior college in the Bay Area. And so I went down there. My friend Franco, he was already going to Diablo Valley, told me to come to Open Gym. So I went to the Open Gym. The coach kind of blew me off. It's funny. The coach kind of blew me off, you know. Go to the other court, you know, the losing court, and we'll see what you got. And so my cousin's kind of fiery, who I'm living with. He was like, man, hell no. Go to the losing court. You're crazy, coach. We're out of here. So we left. You know, my, my cousin's like, man, fuck this. We're out of here. So we left. And that night, my friend Franco, he knew what type of player I was. He begged me to come back. The next day, like, man, just come back. Coaches, you know, he's kind of – he's got, he got an ego because they're one of the best programs in, in the Bay Area. So I understand. He always gets guys in the summer, like, I can play, I can play. So he probably looked at me like another one of those guys, like, okay, I get these guys all the time that can play. And so I come back the next night and we play. And after the first game, the coach takes me off the court, takes me and my cousin outside and basically said, this is your team. What do we got to do to get you here? Um, and the rest is history. You know, I had two amazing years there. My first year as a freshman, I think we won 30 straight games before we lost. Wow. One game. Yeah. So my two years at DBC, I think I only lost four games. Wow. That's yeah. Crazy. So it, 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 it was it was crazy. Man. I couldn't even couldn't even script it up no better. You know, so it just it happened for me so quick. All the attraction from different colleges and the success. So it, it was fun, man. It's probably some of the funnest years of my life. You know, it's funny. You talk about uh, Dakota and we've had some guys on some ex NBA players and, and uh, G league players. And they always say, you want to get to the league, go play, go play for the North Dakota team. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I could, but I can, all, I can honestly say they had a good program in the G league, like uh, Bismarck and, uh, in Sioux Falls, like there, it was cold, nothing to do. But as far as like trying to get their guys to, you know, make that jump, their numbers were good. So whoever told you that, man, I, I agree with them, man. They, <laughs> they have some good rates to get guys up there. So. so so talk to me about Nevada and how, like, how'd you get sold on coming here? Was there other offers you had on the table? I mean, what was, what was, what was the turning point that made you come to Nevada? 
So I um, initially my school I wanted to go to was Oregon. You know, being from the coast, you know, Oregon had all the dope uniforms. I'm a shoe head, so they had all the Jordans. You know, big Nike school. Right, right. And they were good, you know. And so um, I wanted to go there, honestly. Um, and I had Ernie Ken at the time when I was at DBC. He was a head coach. So I had all of them in the gym. I had Arizona. I had Marquette. I could have went and played with D-Wade, you know. So at the time, I didn't really know. I was just still trying to learn. I was the first in my family, you know, to do something like this. So I was still learning on the fly. And so uh, everything hit me so fast, you know, after having such a, a stellar freshman year, I was getting letters every single day. You know, it's kind of overwhelming. It was exciting, but it was overwhelming because I didn't know. And I didn't really have anybody in my corner to really tell me, like, you know, this is this is a good school. This is not, you know, uh, so on and so forth. So um, Nevada came along and that was the year, my sophomore year, that was the year they went to the Sweet 16. Okay. So I was coming in to basically take Kurt Snyder's spot. But Trent Johnson um, and David Carter has a like a special relationship with Coach Steve Camillo, which was my coach at Diablo Valley, you know. And so they were always coming down, I swear, like every day trying to get me. And so the love that they showed me and the relationship that I built with Coach Johnson and Coach Carter, I just felt they kind of felt like a father to me, you know. So that bond was just – it just clicked. And so I already knew right then. I only took one visit, and that was the visit to Nevada. You know, I probably should have took all five, all five visits, but I didn't. Nevada was my first one. That's when they beat Kansas the very first time at Kansas. I was at that game. So the atmosphere was just – it was crazy, man. It was insane. Um, we win. And then after the game, obviously, we big parties, helicopters flying over the parties, breaking it up. I was just like, wow, this is what – college is about man I want to come here you know and, and closes 24-hour drinking <laughs> oh man it was man, it was it was a blast man and um Kevin Pinkney and Todd Okerson those were my they were my hosts and so um I just I just got really tight with them man and physique is and you know those guys and they made it very easy for me to to come you know I just knew I had a I had an opportunity to do something special and be part of something special Nevada just coming on the map, coming off the Sweet 16, um, it was just – it was a no-brainer for me, man. And, and I'm happy with my decision. As you know, we won a lot of games. And, yep. I mean, the community, fuck, they were behind us like no other. You know, we yeah. kind of had the keys to the – we had the keys to the city, honestly. We were, we were that good. And people showed so much support for us. Man, it was, it was a blast. Yeah, and I mean, I heard Kevin Pinkney's a good time too. So him being your host, that must have been a good time. <laughs> he, he he is, man. He's a wild dude. He was. Uh, we had a great time, and even uh, Todd Okerson, man. He, you know, he looks quiet and all that. Nah, that boy's fire. <laughs> that boy's fire, and he's actually one of my. You know, he's one of my best friends. I was actually in his wedding. I was one of his. Oh, wow. One of his groomsmen and stuff. So, yeah, man, it was just we had a great time, man, and great group of guys. That, that's what's up. And uh, so you uh, you didn't actually play for Trent Johnson, though, did you? So you were expecting to play for Trent, and yep. then Mark Fox comes in. So at first, what was your reaction at first? Were you kind of nervous about the situation and it wasn't what you signed up for, or were, or were you happy going into it either way? I was unsure. Honestly, I kind of – after I found out Fox, our Coach Johnson left to Stanford, me and my junior college coach, uh, Steve Milio – we sat down and I was honestly trying to kind of get out of it because that's not who I signed for. You know, I was trying to get out of it and I was going to go to Oregon. You know, I was just like, man, I'm going to go to Oregon then. You know, get the so. <laughs> yeah, oh man, the best. Uh, they had the best shoe game ever, man. Best gear, the 100 uniforms. I was, I mean, I was sold. I probably, if, I, if that probably would have been my first recruit, I probably would have signed on the line, man. <laughs> I ain't going to lie, bro. So, um, yeah, I was I was confused, man. I didn't know what to think, you know, because I didn't know Fox as much as I knew Trent and Coach Carter. You know, Coach Fox would come down with Carter because he was assistant at the time, but the bond just wasn't, you know, it was cool, but we just didn't, you know, we wasn't as close. That's not who I signed there for to play for, you know. So I was just confused. But once I got up there and we got to going and getting to work, I was like, okay, well, I made the right decision. You know, Coach Fox is – He's a fiery dude. He wants to win. He know what he's doing. 
you know. Yeah. So um, it worked out. It worked out. Me and Coach Fox, we to this day, we still talk. And um, he was supposed to come to my Hall of Fame. I got put in the Hall of Fame at Diablo Valley, got my number retired and things like that. So he was supposed to come, but he had to go on a recruiting trip. So we're still close, though, to this day. So, yeah. And uh, you're right. He was a fiery dude. I don't think I've ever seen anybody stomp their foot as hard as Mark Fox when he got pissed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Man, you would think he's stomping a hole in that wood, huh? <laughs> right. right coach, about to break the pin open over here, man. What's going on? You should have seen him. You should have seen him in the locker room, man. He put about, you know, our locker room was brand new, man. He put about four big holes in them, <laughs> kicking them, yeah, stomping them. <laughs> I can only no, imagine. Man, he, he was he was good, man. He got everything out of us, man. He was we respected him. We wanted to win for him. Um, hell of a coach, hell yeah. of a coach, hell of a um, father figure, a, a, a great man off the off the court. He he, he helped us become men, especially for yeah. myself. You know, I was I was still trying to find my way, and he he did a great job with me on keeping me on track and 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 showing me how to win. And what it takes, you know. So, yeah, I appreciate Coach Fox for that for sure. Yeah, I mean, he definitely helped show you the way because you guys made an NCAA tournament run and you played pretty damn confident um, against, I think, it's Texas in the first round. But yeah, I mean, it's every kid's dream to play in the NCAA tournament. But uh, what was your experience like with it? I mean, did you have those like nerves coming in because you didn't show that you had nerves? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think initially. Initially, I think that's just normal, though. You know, as an athlete, you get those nerves because you care so much and you want to win. But once that ball went up, man, we were ready to go. I mean, it was nothing. For me, it was, like you said, it's every Hooper's dream to play in an NCAA tournament. Like, that's the biggest tournament in college basketball. So to be a part of it at the end of the year and, and, and the shiny moment and seeing your face and, all, you know, seeing your team and all that, man, it's super dope, man. So um, we were confident. Like we knew we can play with anybody, you know, those years we knew it, you know, and, and a lot of teams didn't want to play us because they knew we were good, you know. So um, to knock off Texas like that and um, was was huge. And then obviously we ran up against a, a hell of an Illinois team in Indianapolis, you know. That, that was basically a home game for the number one team, in, you know, in the country. But we played them tough, man. You know, we yeah. played them boys tough. No, you, you did, and um, after playing them so tough, is that team like Darren Williams, Luther Head? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a great team. Oh, how, yeah. how tough was that loss, though, after you play them so tough? I mean, did you guys leave proud, or was it just kind of like, damn, we should have won that? I mean, what, what's, your, what's your take on that? It, to us, it was like, damn, we should have won that. You know, we played them tough, and there was no moral victories for us, you know. We, we went in there confident like we are going to win, and we played. I think we played well enough to win. You know, a couple of players that went different could have been differently. You know, I think we did a very good job on their guards. You know, they're, like you said, Darren Williams, Luther Head, uh, D. Brown. We held them in check pretty well. Augustine, that's what killed us. Augustine had his career night. I think he went for, like, almost 40 or something crazy. And I think that's what helped them give a, get over the hump of, of beating us. But – for us, we, we it gave us a confident boost for next year. We knew we can play with anybody. We had, you know, we pretty much had everybody coming back. I think we lost Pinkney, which was a huge loss. Um, but we had a we had a nice core coming back. We had some good uh, recruits coming in. So, I mean, we were ready. We were eager to get back after we lost. We were eager to get back, you know, to work because we knew we can do something special. Yeah, and, and, and it's true too. Like the one thing I liked that you said was about you know how the the you know the city got behind you guys because mm -hmm. it, I mean when I went to when I went to UNR uh, the football team had more wins than the basketball team, so <laughs> it, 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 it changed a lot. And it was it was cool to see it's it's cool to see how each team actually helped each other out in terms of the recruiting, in terms of yeah, yeah. scheduling, like. I mean, playing team like I never thought we'd ever play Notre Dame in football. And right. Like that you know what I mean. Right. Kaepernick having the career he did, beating Boise State. Um, mm -hmm. You guys, I mean, going to the Sweet Sixteen. You know, I never imagined that, and it's just amazing to see that run was huge. Um, the following season, you lose to Montana in the first round. Is losing that last college game ever the toughest loss for you as a player? 
Um, or what's that feeling like knowing like, okay, my college career is over. Where are we going now? Uh, I think it was a little bit of both. I think we went in our senior year. I think we were the, was it the five, you know, that five twelve matchup. It's, it's, weird always, it's always something weird about that, man. And I think we were very confident, you know, going into, I think our, I think our region was, I believe it was in Utah, if I'm not mistaken at, at the time. Um, we went in there confident, but we also kind of went in there kind of, you know, mm-hmm. too confident, kind of overlooked them, you know, yeah. and you can't, you can't do that, especially in a tournament. Yeah, not on that stage. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Because anybody can, anybody can beat you on any given day. And that's what happened, man. I think we went in there and just kind of overlooked them, and they were well prepared. Yeah. You know, and we just kind of came out flat, man, and, and we ended up losing that. And to this day, when I hear Montana, Montana State, it still haunts me. Like, fuck, yeah. we lost to them. We lost to them. You know, we, we'd have beat them. I think we'd have made an, another deep run. We have uh, Boston College. I think we have Boston College next with Jared Dudley. I think we could have knocked them off also and went to, back to the Sweet 16. And, and, you know, you never know after that. But, yeah, we just kind of laid an egg, man. And, and after that loss, man, I, we were so hurt. I was hurt. I was ready to leave Utah that night, honestly. <laughs> you know, I was I was hurt, man. I was very hurt. And so um, we got back to Nevada. I think it took, you know, some guys some time to to get back to getting back in the gym and preparing yourself for the next step. You know, like for me, obviously I was a senior, so now I'm trying to prepare for the NBA. So now so, you like you hired an agent, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, what was that draft process like for you? Did you do the combine or not? Like, did you go to Phoenix or Portsmouth or any of those places? I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't go to them. I, I was hurt at the time, so I didn't get to go to. I went to one in, invitational camp, and that was in New York. Okay. Played really, played really well there, um, and then got a lot of you know obviously camp invites to work out for a lot of teams, and I did that. But that whole process was was amazing too you know it's, it's something you dream about and so for me coming from Eureka with no AAU and things like that I didn't know I just dreamed of it you know and so if, to come full forth it was like wow this is really this is really happening you know what I mean I have a chance you know there's nothing guaranteed but you put yourself in a position to give yourself a chance to get right. drafted you know or make a team and so during the draft process I had a hell of a workout with Golden State so I knew I had a chance to get, you know, drafted second round, I believe they said, um, with that pick. So I was, you know, I was antsy. I was very antsy during the draft of my family, some cousins, stuff like that. So when my name wasn't called, I wasn't bummed or nothing like that. We got the call from Golden State. Literally, as soon as the draft was over, boom, my phone was ringing. It was Golden State. Um, Said we want you to come in for camp, summer league, things like that. So, um, I think I thank Golden State. They gave me my first opportunity. And to be able to play for basically your hometown team, you know, it doesn't get any better than that either. And so um, I did very good in summer league, started every game, um, played amazingly defensively, knocked out some shots. So I signed with them. I signed a partial with them. And then, bang, another coaching change. <laughs> another coaching change, Mike Montgomery. Yeah. Mike Montgomery, uh, they bought his contract out and brought Don Nelson back in. And that's when things kind of went differently. You know, he wanted to bring his own guys in and things like that. And, uh, and that was on that team that we believed in. Uh, yeah. I was supposed to be on that team. And so um, everything happens for a reason. I wasn't bummed. You know, obviously I was like, damn. But it made me stronger. And I just kept at, I just kept at it, you know. And, and it actually helped my career having that stamp on your on your resume so I, then I got on with Portland then I got on with Minnesota and things just didn't it just didn't pan out in the NBA just with timing wise you know my, not my talent just timing you know with the NBA it's a lot about timing who you know things like that and so then that's when I did uh the G League went to the, the D League back then right got to stay um went play for Anaheim um and then eventually I got to come back and play for the Bighorns, and obviously, you know, playing at Nevada, the the support was was tremendous, man. Every game, man, it was like like Nevada's like a second home to me, a second family. You know, people, everybody took me in from day one, and had my supported me 
through my career, you know, show so much love to me. So um, I was happy, man. I got to come back and play for a city who took me in as their own and get to represent, continue to represent Reno in the right way and play in front of crowds that I got to play in in college. So that was that was a good deal. And then to become a, a D-League All-Star, that was, I mean, that was amazing also. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of crazy because you mentioned um, how there's a coaching change when you were being signed with Golden State. It, the thing I picked up is the ghost of Stanford, man. The ghost of Stanford just comes back to haunt you. Like you lose Trent Johnson to Stanford, then Mike Montgomery comes in right. from Stanford. So. <laughs> right. And, and the funny, like you said, so Montgomery comes in from Stanford to the Gold State, which opened it up for Trent, you know, to leave and things like that. So, yeah, man, I think I just had the Stanford coaching <laughs> yeah. thing going on. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, like you said, you had a ton of success in the D-League. Um, and then you went to play overseas, I believe. I mean, what what, uh, what was your experience like playing overseas and what adjustments did you have to make um, to your game to succeed over there? Um, man, experience was, was crazy, amazing. My first year was in Belgium, which is like two, two and a half hour drive to Paris. So that experience, man was amazing. I got to bring my family. I had a one-year-old at the time. So she got to be there with me. She, you know, we drove to Paris. We got to go to Eiffel Tower. We got to go to London. You know, we got to do, we got to do things that you can only dream of, you know, on somebody else's dime, <laughs> you know. So um, that part of it was amazing. The, the, the change was obviously you're in a foreign country, language barrier, um, being away from home for me, this is you know this is the first time this far away in a whole different country, you know, trying to adjust to their lifestyle, their the way they conduct themselves, the way they go about business, their everyday life. So that part was that part of it was it took a little bit, but I tell you, man, I'll do it again. I I, I loved it, man. The, the experiences overseas, the people you you meet. Um, I mean, I still got long lifetime friends that I still call family, you know, just with that experience over there. So that part of it was was amazing. And then the play of it, you obviously got to adjust your game. You know, they kind of make you in a triple threat. You kind of you got to put the ball on the ground first before you go. You can't just jab step and go. They call it travel. So that part of it that took me. Shit, I think I got called travel the first. <laughs> Two three weeks, my coach was just like, "Hey man, what's going on?" I'm like, coach, it's gonna take me a minute, you know, to adjust. But it was fun, man. You know, I've won some championships and over overseas, and it was great, man. Yeah, and uh, I mean, do you have any crazy overseas stories? Because we had like Marcus Banks on, and I mean, <laughs> he was talking Banks. about they're talking about like throwing lighters and shit at players. I mean, what's the craziest shit you've you've ever seen playing overseas? Uh, so I played probably in Mexico, man. I, uh, I got done playing over in Europe and then one of my good buddies was coaching in Mexico and I ain't never really been to Mexico like that. So it was in Monterey too, as the capital. And so I went there for like two months and played over there and, and I loved it, man. It was cool, man. They think about Mexico, you think about shit, it's grimy. And it is grimy. I ain't gonna say it's not, you know, some spots, you know, they're out there riding around with guns, you know, like it's just regular. And so um, I think we're in Veracruz, and I think it was doing a playoff game, man. And I'm on the bench, me and my other American, and I just feeling shit hit me. You know, I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I turn around. I'm, I'm I think I'm pissed. I think we might have lost that game. We're losing on the verge of losing, getting eliminated. I think. And so I turn around. You see. 20 people, like, you know, they're talking shit, throwing their hands up. So I'm like, man, fuck this. So I get up, man. I'm trying to charge, man. I pick up a chair, and I'm trying to throw the chair at the crowd. I just lost it, man. And so once I finally got my my mind right, I'm like, oh, shit, man, what are you doing? Like, you're out here in Mexico. You're you're not on your territory, bro. What are you doing? You need to get, you know, you need to come back to reality. So. You know, after all that, you know, all that went down, I came back and they had to kind of like escort us out of there. But that's probably um, that's probably like one of the craziest things as far as on the court. Yeah. Well, that happened. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, you recently just played in the TBT. And before we talk about all the good stuff, what can you tell us about entering the bubble itself? I mean, how different was that for you, for you to experience? And what kind of restrictions did you guys have? I mean, if you could maybe walk us through that whole uh, experience of how you got there and the whole. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So, uh, obviously, they were still trying to figure out if we were even going to have a TBT with everything going on. You know, so once they figured they're going to have it, um, us, the Marquette family, we knew we were coming back. You know, we lost a year before in the championship on a heartbreaker. Um, so we were hungry. And so like a week and a half prior to going to the bubble, everybody came to Milwaukee. A lot of those guys are from there and some are not. So we all flew there and had a training camp for like a week and a half. And I mean, like a not like a bullshit training camp. We did it like seriously, a real training camp up at like seriously. We're up at like six in the morning, starting practice at seven for a few hours, and then coming back to the hotel, eating a little bit, resting a little bit, and then hitting the football field and doing some conditioning drills and stuff like that. So um, right then and there, I knew we were locked in. You know, we didn't have to be out there in the summertime, you know, grinding like that. We were on a mission. So we did that, man, for a week and a half, which was an amazing time. You know, we just kind of got the bond. And for me, being a, a, a Nevada Wolfpack alum and, and those guys knowing each other on a personal level, for me last year, it was, you know, there was no bubble. And we were close to Chicago. Or we were in Chicago, which was close to uh, Milwaukee. So a lot of people's families were coming in and out and everybody was kind of going their own way, you know. So, um this year wasn't like that. You know, we got to the bubble. We drove. We actually drove down from Milwaukee to Columbus. Was I think was a seven-hour, seven-and-a-half-hour drive for us. We rented two vans. We kind of did like an AAU-style type thing, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we, we drove down there, man. We stopped in Chicago at one of the coaches' house and had a nice soulful uh, lunch and, you know, uh, played 2K for a little bit and then got back in the car, drove there. So we get there. I think it's like, I don't know, we get there at nighttime. Everybody's trying to check in. You got to check your temperature. You got to you gotta wait. Um, you got to unload your stuff. And once we get in the bubble the first night, everything was pretty smooth. Now the next day, you know, this is where it gets all, the scheduling gets all real. So we got to, we probably took like 15 COVID tests. It was crazy, man. It was, it was every day. And it's the one that tickles your brain too, right? Well, not luckily, it wasn't that one every time. <laughs> it was more, it was a saliva. They knew every 15 times, hey, you ain't sticking that up our nose 15 times. That's crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So uh, they did the saliva one. Um, but just leading up to it, you had to take many COVID tests before you even arrived to the bubble. And some teams didn't pass. Some teams tested, one player tested positive, which eliminated the whole team. Right. So probably even getting in the bubble, you know what I'm saying? You had everything kind of had to go your had to go right before you even get in there. And so a yeah. few teams didn't get in. We got in. Um, the next day we had practice. We had the COVID test. Um, practice again, and then games. Right. So um, going into it, we just had we had to test every day. You know, we kind of just crossed our fingers, man. Just knowing that shit anything can happen we've been around each other we know that but you just never know you know and they rented out the whole they rented out the whole uh hotel like a convention center and it was just us so everybody had their own floor you know everybody had their own floor which was pretty cool you know because they didn't come up there fucking with you and you just pretty much <laughs> did your own thing so we're up there partying man people were we're in there drinking and just having a good old time just bonding you yeah, know, for me, that was the best part of it because I really got to know these guys on the personal aspect, not just as a basketball player. I got to know them as a per as a person, you know, and I think that I think that part of it really helped us get over the hump this year, winning the championship. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's a great team bonding experience. Like you said, like you know, you're not going home and being away from your team, you know, for mm -hmm. hours or days, you know, you guys are right back at it, you know, maybe watching film, drinking, like you said, having yeah. fun. So it sounds yeah. like you guys built that bond, but were you not able to interact with any other teams outside of playing basketball at all? You couldn't go to other players' floors and like 
play ping pong or anything like that or have a beer with. So you guys had to stay isolated on your own floor. Yep. So that, that was the hard part too, you know, cause obviously basketball is like one big family, you know, everybody, you know, so not being able to go like for me, uh, Eric Devendorf playing at Syracuse. That's one of my good buddies. Um, and he was there. I couldn't even go to his room and, you know, hang out with him and catch up, you know, just because you had to stay on your own floor. Um, but they made it, they made it pretty easy for us because they gave every, each team a conference room. So we had massage chairs, we had cornhole, we had, you know, two TVs, 2K tournaments, you know, we're in a music blaring. We're in a party having a good old time and really enjoying it on our time off, you know, but when it was game time, it was time to lock back in, we locked back in, you know what I mean? So that part of it was hard, definitely. That part was definitely, definitely hard. How weird was it? Because I'm curious, because we haven't had anybody on yet um, that's played during the quarantine. So yeah. how weird was it to play in front of nobody? Like, was that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I always wondered, like, you know, I mean, you know, you're out playing in the park and other things like that. You're not playing in front of anybody, essentially, except for the people you're playing with or the right. people you get into the game. But you're actually playing competitive basketball, which – you know, you like to compete. So obviously competing in, in anything is important, but how weird is it to not feel that like you just hit a big shot no one's clapping or did they pump in crowd? I mean, you know what I mean? It's, it's <laughs> right. weird, right? It, it, it definitely was weird, man. Especially initially, like the first game coming out there and having no crowd. It's like they, they did a good job of cutting the arena out to making it seem like it was just, you know, it was just right there. Um, the music was good. Uh, the crowd noise was okay. I probably would have rather not have it be just because you get to hear everything on the court. And you usually don't get to hear that. You get to hear the shit talking. You get to hear the ski skirts of the shoes. You know, everything. You couldn't hide. Everything was right there. You know, everything. You couldn't, um, how do I say this? You couldn't, you really couldn't be a liability, honestly. You had to really bring it. And right. so for us, it was initially, it was, it was weird. But after like the first, after five minutes, shit, we blocked that. It was, it was back to playing ball, man. We didn't really think about that, you know, just sure. because we had, we had our, we were so focused at the task at hand of coming so close last year and tasting it and losing. We didn't want to have that feeling again. You know what I mean? So well, for us, it was, it was nothing, man. It was, it was actually cooler that, that we could hear the shit talking and we can talk shit to them from the bench and they can actually hear us and they would look at us and, you know, kind of respond. So that part of it was cool, man. It was cool. And they actually did a hell of a job, honestly, just to, just to not do the bubble at all. And, and, and for them to make it all work to even be out there to play during COVID was, was amazing in itself. It took a lot of work, man. They had to shit counsels, countless hours of them, making this go was huge. Yeah. I think that was the first – I think you guys were kind of almost a test, if you think about it. Oh, we were the dummies for sure. Definitely the test dummies. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you make a good point about being able to hear players talk and the shit talking because as a fan – and I, I also coach high school basketball. I loved yeah. it. Like, I loved being able to hear you guys talk on defense, talk your yep. shit. Like, it was great. And I think for the younger kids coming up, they that's the one thing – that's my biggest challenge as a coach is getting kids yep. to talk on defense. And for them to watch you guys talking and watch NBA guys talking, I think it's a huge thing for the younger kids coming up to learn. So, I, th I, I really enjoyed it without the fans. I thought it was great. Um but, I mean, you guys ended up winning the whole TBT. We just had your buddy Travis Diener on right before the TBD uh, started. But uh, okay. how many Miller Lights did you see him drink after you guys? <laughs> <laughs> Shit, every damn night. <laughs> uh, I mean, he probably had a – definitely had a few cases. That's the damn shit. What, what, what? Diener, he is – when you look at Travis Diener, you probably could look at him like, okay, he's he's a giddy giddy type dude, right? Nah, that motherfucker <laughs> talks the most shit. Oh my goodness, man, he talks the most shit, man. You'd be like, man, if you don't shut the hell up, Travis, talking crazy. 
But no, nah, man, the bond, man, it's like for me, like I said, it's it's a it's family now. You know what I mean? We we didn't been on the grind together and Mar I went to Nevada. Marquette, you you would never you would never know I didn't attend Marquette the way they treat me. You know, and when I walk around the Milwaukee and the love I get from the Marquette fans and not even being a Marquette alumni is, is crazy. It's special, man. Did you guys um, each get a share of the winnings? And what did you end up doing with your share, if you don't mind me asking? My share, I bought a new house. Nice. The process, yeah, the process of getting a new house, man. So, uh, obviously, my kids, you know, for me, I'm all right. I just try to shower my, the love to my kids. Uh, I got a 13-year-old and I got a 4-year-old. And my 13-year-old is crazy, man. She's a little... She's a little baller, man. Amanda, the UNR women's coach, is already is already like, okay, we got to keep my eye on her, you know, because they come out here every year. I'm in, obviously I'm in Colorado, and CSU is in our conference now. So I took my daughter to the Nevada game when they came out here before COVID hit and watched them play. And we were actually good friends with Ali Jimenez, player on the Nevada girls team from out here. And so – um that part of it was cool, man. Just to just to give it back to my daughter, man. She has a bright future and shit. At thirteen, she was way better than me. Seriously, like as far as skills, she could shoot it, she could pass it. I was just athletic, you know, not having the skill yet. I just relied on my athleticism and stuff like that. But um, just to see her in action, man, it's like a, looking at myself. It's weird. <laughs> and as a dad, you got to be super proud because, like, I got two kids myself and. I, I did the hysterical thing of coaching my five-year-old in flag football and soccer. And it was like, <laughs> it was like watching bees go around in the circle. It was, <laughs> but it's, it's, it was a great feeling like watching my kids score a goal and you're just going, yeah, it's my kid. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's, it's a different feeling. It's a different totally, feeling. It totally is. It's amazing. Um, Hey, so what's, what's the next step for you? I mean, I know COVID's thrown everybody for a curve. Are you looking to continue to play overseas um, or stay home or defend the TBD title. What what are you looking at doing? Shit, man, a lot of a lot of that runs through my head. Um, I'm actually I'm just kind of taking my time, letting COVID kind of get all the wrinkles out and things like that. But I would love to actually go back and play in Japan. You know, nice, I, I nice. love I love it over there. My family loves it. My daughter went to school there, and actually, uh, one of our good alums, Nick Fazekas, is over there, and we actually got to play against each other in Japan, which was super dope. You know, that's one of my one of my good good buddies, and to be able to play against each other in a whole different country, man, that shit don't happen like that. Especially when you you know you went on the you grinded together through college, and to be able to play against each other in the pros, shit don't happen like that, man. So I'm looking to go back play a couple more years, man. I feel good. I'm still moving good, jumping good. Still got the love for the game. Um, so I would like to do that. You know, probably December, January. You know, the new year. Go for a few yeah. months and continue to play and then hope we come back and do the TBT again, man. We definitely got to, definitely got to defend our crown, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You got to get Diener back. He said it was his last year, but you got to get him back, man. <laughs> it, hey, man we go with Diener. He's superstitious, man. He's been saying that the last couple of years. So <laughs> he ain't never, he ain't never committed early. So uh, he going to stick to that for sure. But, just start selling light cases of beer. You'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> he'll he'll be back. Shit, he got another kid on the way. Shit, so he got to go win a few more dollars. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny you talk about Zekas. We we're we're trying to get him on the show, and he's you know the biggest thing is that that time difference. Yeah, where he's at right now. You know what I mean. So, uh, um, you know, the other thing that I'm I'm interested in for sure is. What was your favorite place to play overseas? Because I hear a lot of stories from guys that we've had on where they say everything's really accessible. So depending mm -hmm. where you are, like in Europe, for example, you're like two hours on this train, you're here, you're there. It's yeah. not like the United States. Um, is it safe to say Japan was your favorite place, or is there a place that you that is the one place where you're like, you know, like like Paris, where you're like, I was two hours in Paris. I mean, what was your favorite place to play? Oh, that's that's tough. Like you say, each like each team had their own good perks. You know, like you said, Belgium. I was close to Paris, so I could just drive there. You know, driving in at night, the lights lit up, the Eiffel Tower, all that. That was beautiful. Um, Japan, Japan was amazing too. They just treat you. 
shit, they treat you like LeBron over there. You know, you're you're American. They know you're. They want you to come over here and play well, so they they give you all the perks. But the outside of basketball, the living is is amazing. They treat you well. It's a very clean country. You know, China and Japan is very different. You know, China is more, you know, more. Uh, it's dirtier. You know, it's not. You go to Japan. There's not much trash on the on the streets. You know, you won't see a lot. You go to China. Shit, there's trash everywhere. There's shitty diapers. There's, you know, that type of stuff. So, um, Japan, I loved it. And the Philippines, man, shit, the Philippines was awesome. You know, I got to play against Pinkney. That's funny. So, me and Pinkney were in the Philippines together. And so, we got to match up against each other. So, that was pretty cool, too, um, to play against another good buddy of yours. Yeah. Um, so, it's hard to say which one is actually my favorite. You know, just, all of them were, were pretty damn good to me. Well, it's like, it's like paid vacations. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's amazing, <laughs> right? Like, you're going to go to all these places and you're, and you're getting paid. It's like, it shows you what the ball can do for you, right? If you respect the ball, right? It's, you respect it's, it. You respect the ball. You put in the time and you put in the work and effort in the dark. And when it's time to you know shine, shit, it comes out. You know? Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, Philippines are sweet, though. I mean, fuck, I couldn't even leave my house without being bombarded by everybody. Wow. They love, they love basketball. Love it like no other. It's crazy. That's amazing. Hey, we want to do a lightning round with you real quick, if you're okay with that, Mo. It's yep. just uh, like a one or two would answer these questions. Zach's going to ask you the questions. Zach, you ready? Yeah. Uh, the first question, who's the one coach that impacted your career the most? Oh, shit. Uh, Eric Musselman. Okay. Uh, the one guy who taught you how to be a true professional. That's Coach Fox and Eric Musselman. Okay. Uh, who's the funniest teammate you've ever had? Shoot, that's tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lightning round's not easy, man. <laughs> uh, gosh, that's tough. Uh, Lindell Burleson. Any weird superstitions that you or your team had throughout your career? Um, me, I have to do game day. I do the same routine every, every game day. Okay. Uh, who's the one player that gave you the most problems? The one guy you just couldn't figure out how to guard. Damn, that's tough. Uh, Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> he was <laughs> tough. He was tough. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite hangout spot in Reno? Mm. Yeah, but they don't have it no more. Off of offer, I'm I'm so sad they took away off offer burger at the I know, man. I, I stayed in line for three hours that last night to get my last off offer. Oh, uh, I, I knew that thing was long, long, long. It's just funny. I I found me and a lot of my teammates. We found ourselves there at the end of the night eating. Off, off of burgers and big ass basket of fries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is your favorite basketball memory? If you had to just pick one, um, I winning the hosting up that whack championship in front of our crowd. Nice. Absolutely. Hey, Mo, we had so much fun with you today. I mean, I know I can speak from Zach, like. So you're super gracious with your time. We really appreciate that so much on this show. Um, is there anything you want to add or promote before we let you out of here? Um, I'd just like to say thank you to all my, you know, my Nevada family out there that's showed me so much love and support over, over my career. And, and still to this day, you know, I, I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, hopefully I can get back and get back into the community in Nevada um, when I get some time and, uh, maybe possibly being on the staff at Nevada, you know, who knows, you know, coach offers there. Um, but I just like to say thank you to all my Nevada uh, family out there who's so, so much love and support, man. It, it's definitely helped me out and it's taken me a long way. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Zach, anything you want to add before we let Mo out of here? Yeah, I just want to say thank you for being on today. Uh, you're somebody that I used to love watching for yeah. both uh, UNR and the Bighorns and just uh, really, really enjoyed your defensive intensity and watching the TBT. Just thank you for everything, man. I really appreciate you being on. Well, I appreciate you guys having me, man. I appreciate you uh, 
shown so much love over the years, man, and, and always support me, brother. So uh, that's much love to you. For sure. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. You're welcome back whenever you want to come on on, anytime you want to promote anything. Always welcome back. Yeah, um, be safe and uh, stay safe and enjoy your week, my friend. You too. You guys in the, are you guys still in the battle right now? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We're still in Reno. Yep. I'm uh I got one more class, man, to get my degree. So I think I'll be coming back shortly, man. So when I do touch down, man, we're gonna definitely have to uh link up, man, go have a, a brewski or something. You know? Yeah, that. we'll we'll have a cel celebratory beer when you uh finish that last class, man. So there, so there, beer, <laughs> beer's there on we me. go. My dog. <laughs> yeah, we love that, guys, man. man. That would, that'd be amazing. Sure. Well, have, sure. have a great week, man. Take care of yourself, and we'll talk soon. You too, bro. Yes, indeed. Take care. All right, brothers. Amazing. Great guy. What a great guy. I can't wait to have a beer with him, man. I, and I, I'll tell you what, I'm not drinking Miller Lights like his buddy Diener. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can put them down like Diener. So no, I, hopefully his expectations aren't too high. Yeah, that, those, those days are long gone for me, man. Good Lord. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that he said Awful Awful is his favorite place to go. Yeah, that's dope. Because Awful Awful is one of my favorite spots, too, especially after, you know, a night of going out. Um, but all those last couple days, because I went twice to get my last Awful Awfuls, and holy shit, that line was truly like three, four hours long. And um, the one thing is you heard a lot of people complaining, but I just made it a party, man. You know, you the bar was open. You could get, take a flask. I mean, I had a great time waiting in line. It's just Dude, like I hanging mean, out with your friends. So I'll tell you right now, that place is an institution. And I know there's other awful awfuls in town, but they're not the same. Um, yeah. and it's, it's one of those things. Like I remember going to college and, and out here and the first thing, God, probably the first or second night out, it was like, Hey, we're going to go the awful awful. And being from high school, coming out to college, I was like, you motherfuckers don't go to bed. Like, like I wasn't <laughs> used to staying out until like three in the morning, but you know, we'd go to like the breakaway or the beer brow or the wall. And then we'd end up, cause you know, if we had no game, we'd end up all hanging out together, not with any girls. And we'd be getting an awful awful at like two in the morning. And I swear to you, you got to have a drink or two. It always seemed like it was better when you had a drink or two in you. You know what I mean? I, I love that you added not with any girls. You like that? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I wasn't in my band yet. It's a big difference. You start playing rock music in a band, and, and that changes a bit. But uh, I remember, uh, yeah, I remember a lot of great times there, man. And, and and the best part about that place for our listeners that are not from here is it was like an eclectic group of people. Anytime yeah. you went in there, it was like you'd have homeless people, you'd have you know all different styles of people in that place. For celebrities like yeah. i've seen celebrities in there I, I saw bill cosby in there once i, I, don't, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> i just realized how cre <laughs> <laughs> yeah hydro drinks but that that was a pretty creepy cosby <laughs> just <laughs> that was the last thing i thought we'd be talking about today <laughs> just, uh, maybe yeah on that note uh <laughs> man that's amazing yeah it, it was definitely a place where you know it, it was it was an institution for sure and 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 for a long time too it was unbelievably cheap i mean mm. it was insane i remember it being like 295 or 395 for like and everything you got like i remember when we were when we were younger and i mean you could put it down i couldn't back in that day i could never finish the burger and the fries oh yeah i couldn't do it it was like there was so much and the and the Secret ingredient, which was really cool, is with the fries, they use the ranch packets. Yeah. And that's what they season their fries with, which is, I mean, how freaking smart is that? First time I ever had ranch on fries was in Reno, too. Yeah, never, I mean, never had a for, for me, I could always finish it because it's so damn good. Like, I'd be full as hell, but, it, like, you know, I'd, I'd usually go after playing hoops or something, so I was hungry anyway. But, man, yeah. I, could, I could put those down, no problem. And the fries, I'd clean my plate, man. Oh, good for you. <laughs> after seven, eight beers and some shots, there was no way I was cleaning a plate of that stuff. But it was amazing, <laughs> man. It was cool to hear him say that. It would, he, man, great conversationalist. I love when people come on and right off the bat, you just know they're going to be a great interview. And Mo was like that. Right off the bat, I knew. I was like, this guy's going to be fun to interview. And he really was a part of that that generation of Nevada hoop, you know, oh, yeah. that really, because I mean, like I said, when I was telling them in the interview, like when we went to college here, 
it was like, you know, really the football team won more games than the basketball team. The, and really the only game that was the game you'd go to would be the UNLV game, you know? And yeah. it was like, you know, they started hitting that stride. They started getting better recruits. They started playing more teams. They start making those runs in the tournament. I mean, all these things I never thought I'd see. I was like, wow, we're actually in the tournament. Like, you know, like when I was a kid, we weren't in the tournament. You know what I mean? Everybody thought I was going to a different school, you know, because they were like, no, like literally all my all my my East Coast friends are like, well, where are you going to school, Stanglin? And I'm like, well, I'm going to UNR. And like, oh, where's that, Idaho? And I'm just like, you know, no one knew. We weren't on the map. But if I said UNLV, everybody knew because of Tark, you know, and, and Larry Johnson and Augman and all those guys. But it was funny how that shifted when we were in school. And even after that, where UNLV started going the opposite direction and Nevada started climbing up. And then you're, we're making these runs in the Sweet 16. You know, I mean, there was multiple years we're going to the tournament. I mean, yeah. Nevada basketball has come a long way and he's very, and he's very correct too. The, 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 the city really gets behind. The oh, hell yeah. And, I, and it, for somebody like him, like he was one of the more underappreciated players of that time. Cause he did all the dirty work. Like he, yep. he, he uh, always had like the toughest defensive assignments. He got a ton of rebounds. I mean, you could really plug him in honestly, like, two through four. I mean, he's playing power forward on some teams. You're just like, damn, man, he's just so versatile. And uh, yeah. that's what I loved about his game, man. Just uh, he did what was best for the team. And he yeah. sacrificed – I feel like he sacrificed so much everywhere he's, he's ever gone. I just have a ton of respect for players like that. So We had, he, we had a lot of blue chippers on our team, man. And, and, and those years, the other thing you started seeing was a lot of those guys started making the league. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and still are making league, you know, like the twins, you know, making the Hornets. I mean, there's, there's guys, you know, he brings up a point like we've talked about before, but for all of our young listeners, I think it's super important. Do what you're good at, obviously, but also excel at stuff that you know other people aren't doing. Like yeah. dive before for loose balls, you know, talking on defense. Like you talk about a lot of the show where trying to teach kids how to talk on defense is really tough, but talking on defense is super important because if, if, I mean, in, in, in Paul's book, he talks a lot about that where guys like, if they're not talking on defense, you know, there's, there's things that are happening because they weren't talking on defense. And that's, that's a huge, a huge part of it. A guy like that, you last in the league guys. So if you're listening right now and you're a, you're playing high school ball or, or junior high ball or, you know, even like some basic college ball right now, if you're, if you're hustling, you're doing the things that most people aren't doing, people are going to take notice. Or the thing that he pointed out that really stood out to me being just a guy from small town Eureka, California, to give yourself a chance and put yep. yourself in position to have a chance at being in the NBA. That is a huge accomplishment. Like that is huge. And to come out of a mid-major like Nevada, I mean, Everything he's done to, to give himself that chance, like he said, and go make a professional living playing overseas and, you know, be in the TBT, which is now like such a huge thing and was such a huge thing this year for fans and with everything we're going through. I mean, that's awesome, man. So, I mean, shout out to him. He's, he's done a lot buying, coming out of Eureka, California. Buying a house? Yeah. You know what I mean? How cool is that? I mean, he's buying a house because, you know, he won that tournament. I mean, there's a lot of – there's a lot of great things that come out of basketball, you know, and there's a lot of great things that come out of life when you apply yourself and you have, like you said, that chance. If you, if you are awarded a chance, you make the best of your chance. And that's where a lot of people fail in life. You know, they, they talk a big game, but they don't step up when it's time to step up. And if you understand that chance, you have that and you make the most of your opportunity like look all the good that's happened to Mo because of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. So, and, and our chance, it, you know, nine countries, uh, it's amazing what's going on with us and, and all the people, how we're charting, we're charting on Spotify now where we were just charting on iTunes. Now it's iTunes and Spotify and, you know, people are finding out about us and it's because of you guys. So retweeting, liking, sharing, um, writing reviews. I mean, all those things make a huge difference for us. We don't, you know, we're not going to kill you over it in terms of like some places where they'll talk about it for 10 minutes. We just want to say real quick, thanks for helping us out. And 
if you would be so kind if you're a new listener, um, which I'm sure we'll have some new ones because of Mo. Um, just, you know, give us, give us a rating, a quick review, maybe retweet it. Maybe some of your friends get into it. It helps us out. It helps us get guests like Mo. We really appreciate that. Um, is there anything you want to add, Zach, before we get out of here? Just a big thanks to Mo, and I can't wait to have that celebratory beer, man. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for that call. I want to, I want to have that beer. I'm going to buy him celebratory beers. So uh, absolutely, man. What a yeah. cool guy to offer that too. I mean, just shows the type of character that guy has, which I think is really, really cool. And he was sure. very generous with his time, which we appreciate too. So Mo, if you end up listening to this episode, thanks a lot, my friend. We really appreciate all the time you gave us today. Um, for for Zach, I'm Eric. Not in my house is out of your house now. Enjoy your weekends. Be safe.